0: Welcome to the niches you. My name is Matt Gottesman at Matt Gottesman on Instagram, and this is my daily podcast where I create short, quick hitting episodes to help you uncomplicate life, creativity, and the pursuit of your highest self. There's only main character energy here. Now let's get into it. Welcome to episode 104. Don't try to get everything exactly right the first time. So I've referenced this book before. You guys have heard me talk about essentialism. You heard me talk about the book Effortless is Greg McKeown's follow up book. And I got to this chapter that uh, was talking about progress, the courage to be rubbish. And I'm going to actually, I'm going to read some excerpts from this small chapter, but I thought it was very uh, profound, if you will, for a way to, to think about starting and moving and momentum and what happens in our head when we are not in movement, right? Because we think that we have to have everything right at the very beginning. I need all the parameters. I need all the resources. I need all the equipment. I need, uh, I need more education. I need more credentials. I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. No, you don't. You need to move is what you need to do. You need to get comfortable not being perfect. At all. And I know I've talked about this, but I want to expand on this even more. And there's three chapters in here. Well, not chapters, there's three little subsections. And I love it. He says, make failure as cheap as possible, protect your rubbish from the harsh critic in your head, and adopt a zero draft approach. So I'm gonna to get to those here in a second, but I'm gonna I'm gonna just read to you guys this, uh, the start of this, uh, book. And then I'll, I'll leave a link in the show notes for anybody that wants to read this book effortless by Greg McKeown. So he said in 1959, a British industrialist named Henry Kramer had a dream of future where human powered flight was possible for the masses determined to do anything he could to make that dream a reality. He launched the Kramer prize, generous rewards meant to incentivize designers to build aircraft, that could be powered entirely by a single person. One prize for £50,000 would go to the first team to create an aircraft that could fly a figure eight around two pylons half a mile apart. Another prize for £100,000 was also offered for the first team to fly an aircraft across the English Channel. Given the aeronautical achievements of the time, constructing what amounted to a workable flying bicycle seemed like a realistic challenge. It was, after all, a full half-century after Orville Wright had made his flight south of Kitty Hawk in North Carolina and 40 years since the first non-stop transatlantic flight. A full decade before Chuck Yeager had broken the sound barrier and just a decade later, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin would walk on the moon. But... However doable the challenge might have seemed, many talented teams had tried and failed for over 17 years. So I want to talk about this, right? And I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna finish reading this section and why this is this is fascinating. What happened? And I'm so so stick with me on this part of the story. Enter Paul McCready, saddled with a huge debt at the time. He didn't have a team, saved, uh, saved for friends and family, including his younger son, whom he enlisted as his test pilot. Meanwhile, his competitors were all well-staffed and well-funded and built big, complex, elegant airplanes with large span wings, many wooden ribs and metal uh, or heavy plastic casings. Yet these teams didn't come close to achieving the prize. So real important point right there, people with more resources. And this I've seen this in the business world all the time. I mean, I literally just had this, this talk over lunch. You know, you see people who are very well-funded and yet can't make sales happen. Don't know, understand marketing. And I was breaking down marketing and I'm like into like numbers and into goals and metrics that, you know, how to, how to just simplify the whole process. And you see this all the time though, you know, big, big budgets, big companies, fancy, 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 and yet they can't make it happen. So keep that in mind, especially because I don't want you to compare yourself ever. And that's often what happens. So he says at first, McCready couldn't figure out why. Then it hit him. Everyone had been working to solve the wrong problem. The real challenge wasn't to build an elegant aircraft that could do the figure eight on the field around the two pylons. It was to build a large light aircraft, quote unquote, no matter how ugly it is, that you could crash, then repair, modify, alter, redesign fast. That was when he suddenly realized there is an easy way to do it. So he saw fancy people trying fancy things for, you know, which means that they were working very hard on something that had to be perfect even before they tested something. Now coming from the entrepreneurship world and the, and the startup world and the tech startup world, the problem I found with a lot of people is especially with, don't even get me started with venture capital firms when they invest in a lot of startups who everybody's just trying to get it perfect, perfect engineering, perfect product. And I'm like, that's not what you need. You need customers. And you have to get your best, you, you have to get your, uh, uh, what do they call most viable product uh, or, you know, your your starter out there so people can test it and you can keep iterating it faster and faster. So it says, so McCready and his son immediately got to work on a model inspired by one of the simplest and most aerodynamic mechanisms in nature, bird flight. Within two months, they were flying the first version of the Gossamer Condor. It weighed just 55 pounds, 25 kilos and looked amateurish especially compared to the sleeker models others had created but that was exactly the point mccready said if it crashed on landing you'd get a broom handle and duct tape and tape the broom handle back on and you'd be back flying in five minutes that accident would have kept those other larger more sophisticated teams from flying for something like six months so we got a huge amount of flight experience out of this over the course of just a few months the gossamer condor made some 222 flights, sometimes several in a single day. Some of his competitors' machines didn't even achieve that in their lifetimes. It was on its 223rd flight that the Condor completed the figure eight challenge and won the first Kramer prize. Two years later, McCready would win the second Kramer prize with the Gossamer Albatross, successfully crossed when the Gossamer Albatross successfully crossed the English Channel. His most brilliant insight wasn't some advanced breakthrough in science of flight. It was simply that focusing on the elegance and sophistication of the aircraft was actually an impediment to progress. Having it look perfect and be completely ready, right? All of that stuff before actually launching is actually impeding your progress. I want you all to know that. Don't try to be perfect. Try to be launched. Try to be out there. Try to be moving be seen trying. It's okay. And then it said, um, an ugly aircraft that could be crashed, repaired and redesigned fast would make it much easier to make progress on what really mattered. Building a plane that could, as McCready put it, turn left, turn right, go up high enough at the beginning. And then at, and at the end of the flight, similarly, in your own pursuit of what matters, if you want to build a better airplane, Don't try to get everything exactly right the first time instead, embrace the rubbish, no matter how ugly it is. So you can crash, repair, modify and redesign fast. It's a far easier path for learning, growing and making progress on what's essential. So, um, that's going to lead me into these, uh, other, you know, make failure as cheap as possible, protect your rubbish from the harsh critic in your head and adopt a zero draft approach, which was also these little three subsections in here. But do you get the point is that most people get stuck on appearance and McCready didn't, he was like, how do we just solve the problem and get launched? And you know, um, listen, no matter anything I've ever put out, I put out at that moment, it's an iteration can it be better Uh, you know I try to put my best foot forward but it'll always be evolving a brand is always evolving you are always evolving whatever you create is always evolving and if you're trying to serve people I'll give you a perfect example Um, as you guys know I point out in the show notes that there's a a link to the the clarity workshop that actually came around uh, because a lot of people were like, well, how do you get so directional and clear? How do you know what to execute and spend your time on? How do you even know how to schedule your time? Um, how do you even you know have a vision? And so I was like, that, that's something that you guys want. Okay. So I started to create it. And I did, you know, a first version of it, which is pretty much still there. Um, and I knew that I had to get that um, out to all of you as quickly as possible because a lot of people were wanting it. And I'm, I'm like, you know what? Let me host it on this one platform. Um, it's free anyways for people. Um, the platform is a great platform. It didn't really charge me anything. Uh, and I was like, OK, well, let's let's try this because I knew I wanted to be able to automate something that was helpful to the, the general mass public. And so I did that and there were still some things left that had to be done or upgraded or updated or optimized, including, you know, walking all of you guys through a daily routine of what to do next with the whole exercise. And so I just optimized it along the way. And that's the whole point. Don't wait for it to be perfect. Just have something launch and and optimize from there. So uh, these next three sections, he said, make failure as cheap as possible. Uh, so now he's talking about, uh, the, the author Greg McKeown is talking about uh, an, an incident with, um, within his own family. And he says, giving ourselves permission to fail takes courage. It feels scary. It makes us vulnerable. The higher the stakes, the more courage is required. So given that our reserves of courage are limited, we want to find ways to experience and learn from failure as cheaply as possible. For example, when our children were younger, so Greg McKeown, the author is talking about when our children were younger, Anna and I wanted them to have the chance to be rubbish with money while the stakes were low. After all, we'd much rather they made mistakes with their allowance at the ages of eight and 10 than make mistakes with their life savings as adults. So we gave them three glass jars, one for charity, one for saving, and one for spending. When they received their allowance, it was up to them to divide up the money. We didn't try to advise them on how much should go to uh, to saving or spending. We wanted them to make the decisions, especially the rubbish ones. For example, our son once spent $40 he'd saved on an electric racing car, and he regretted it afterwards. He wished he had that money for a major Lego purchase he was saving up for. Now he's a teenager and is saving up for a major service mission he wants to go on that will cost thousands of dollars. And I'm confident he won't regret it. That's because he got to learn from his mistakes while the risks were lower. I call these kinds of mistakes learning size mistakes. We don't want our children to learn about money the hard way. We want them to learn about it the easier way, the cheaper way. To make effortless progress on what matters, learning size mistakes must be encouraged. This isn't giving yourself or others permission to consistently produce poor quality work. It's simply letting go of the absurd pressure to always do everything perfectly. And he's right because then if you make mistakes, whether you are writing or launching something or um, you're doing a new hobby or something with your health or whatever it might be as you're, as you're, you know, in order to progress, it's okay to make mistakes. That's how you progress. And much better when they're much smaller mistakes than when the stakes are much higher. Right? And that's what I really loved about that whole section. Now the the, the second section, protect your rubbish from the harsh critic in your head. Another way we can make failure as cheap as possible for ourselves is simply to protect our rubbish from the harsh critic in our heads. Instead of shaming yourself for hitting your serve into the net, celebrate the fact you're on the court to begin with. You guys hear me say this all the time, be in the game. When you are in the game, you're able to get the information on what to do for the next play. That's all it is. I'm telling you guys, you're in your head. If you're not in the game, be in the game and then just optimize from there. Right? It says instead of belittling yourself for even the tiniest of errors, be proud of the fact that you are unlikely to make that same mistake ever again. Anytime you feel like you're on shaky ground with some meaningful challenge you've taken on, Talk to yourself like you would talk to a toddler learning to walk. You've taken the first step. You may feel wobbly now, but you've begun. You're going to get there and remind yourself that every achievement is rubbish at the beginning, every one of them. As the Irish playwright George Bernard Shaw once said, a life spent in making mistakes is not only more honorable, but most useful than a life spent doing nothing. This this culture of perfectionism and perf- perfect in general and everything has to look the exact right way, I'm telling you is stalling you. You just want to be in the game. For me, all I ever want to do is be in the game. I love being in the game of business and creativity and writing and producing and podcasting, you know, and just, I, I love learning. And um, it's how I'm able, the, the faster I am at making a move within the game and playing that play that's right in front of me, the quicker I have information to make the next play. Because if, 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 you're, if you're taking the shot in, on the court and it's, you're missing each time you're doing it, you're probably going to look at it and say, what can I do different? you're going to want to change the way you're doing something because it's clear that something may not be working and it's cool to know that something's not working because then you can go and try something else. Right. And, uh, and then this last section, he talked about adopt a zero draft approach. I thought you guys would really get a kick out of this. I've met many people who feel a calling to write a book, but they often give up before writing even the first draft of the first chapter. By the way, real quick, I am working on my book. Uh, I, I'm much further along. Uh, so stay tuned for that. The, the goal is to have it actually all done this year and publishing here, hopefully in the spring. I just want to give you guys that that heads up, but he's right. Like, luckily I love writing. And so I, I just brought it all in, but I'll get to the point here in a second. He says their belief that each sentence has to be perfect or close to perfect to be worthy of the page keeps them from ever starting the process. I recommend they adopt a zero draft approach. That is write a version of that first chapter that's so rough, it wouldn't even qualify as the first draft. So uh, exactly like I I have sections that I just pull, pull in all of my stuff. And then I just sh- I put my notes and just spit them all out there on, on the page. And I like that. I will weave it all together towards the end. But right now, I just want to get all of my thoughts out there. So the idea with the zero draft is to write anything. The more rubbish, the better. It doesn't have to be seen by anyone. It never has to be judged. Don't even think of it as a draft. It's just words on a page. You'd be surprised how easy it is to get your creative juices flowing this way. So I want to stop right there real quick. And he's right. When I'm in the energy of doing that, when I'm actually bringing that to fruition and putting it on paper, it's a whole other energy. It's a whole other frequency. Like I can, I can feel my creativity just wanting to pour out all of my thoughts. There isn't an expectation there. And I saw something about, and I don't think it's I I don't think it was mentioned in here, but I saw something about, um, you know, when it comes to writing, you know, it's all about the energy that you, um, are, are bringing to it. Like when you don't have expectations, when you're just allowing your whole self to express yourself on paper, something different happens. You're just being yourself and that's what you want people to feel when you are writing for any of you writers out there or just people just to even better your communication. Writing is so key, especially if there's not an expectation tied to it because it allows you to get your, your thoughts out there. It allows you to put sentences together that express how you are thinking and feeling and being and knowing. So, Uh, He says, as American poet and memoirist, Maya Angelou, put it, when I am writing, I write. And then it's as if the muse is convinced I'm serious and says, okay, okay, I'll come. Margaret Atwood, the prolific author of 18 books of poetry, 18 novels, 11 books of nonfiction, nine collections of short fiction, and eight children's books, once wrote, a word after a word after a word is power. Even rubbish words are more powerful than a blank page. In fact, they are much more powerful because there can be no magnum opus later without those rubbish words now. So if you're feeling overwhelmed by an essential project, because you think you have to produce something flawless from the outset, simply lower the bar to start, whether it's writing a book, composing a song, painting a canvas, or any other creative pursuit that calls to you, inspiration flows from the courage to start with rubbish. By embracing imperfection, by having the courage to be rubbish, we can begin. And once we begin, we become a little less rubbish, and then a little less. And eventually, out of the rubbish, come exceptional, effortless breakthrough in the things that matter. And I will finish with this: It doesn't even have to be for an artistic feature or creative feature. It can be even like a business or being in a, an act of service. If you were out, that's what I'm saying. Even with the whole Clarity Workshop, which I think now is like 300 students in there or i call you guys students at so 300 participants um it was just something that i wanted to serve and also you know better understand what part of my audience was looking that they wanted to do you know and solidifying some direction for the things that they were creating and um but when you're out there and you're like i just want to solve something it doesn't it, the people you're trying to solve it for they're not judging you on how it looks per se they're um, basically looking for you to provide some clarity in something that you're of service to them. So all of you business owners out there too, you know, learn to move a little bit faster on the things that you have to do without focusing on other people's lanes, on the comparison of other businesses, on how so-and-so is doing it. But being in your lane and saying, okay, how am I of service to the people that I'm trying to, to help them solve this particular thing? And what do I have to do right now? It doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be out there in front of them, helping them. They will help you iterate it. So don't try to get everything exactly right the first time, right? I appreciate you guys. Thank you for tuning into this one. You know, I I was reading this chapter. I'm like, I got to share this with you guys. And I thought it was just so spot on. Uh, the niche is you, right? Like, it's the whole. Instead of trying to be perfect, try to just be trying. Try to be out there. Try to be moving. Try to be in the game. Everything is about being in the game, and you learn everything that you need to. And it's in our heads that we have this idea of, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? Who? like It doesn't matter. What do you mean? It doesn't matter. What if this happens? What if that happens? You don't know at all what's going to happen unless you're out there. Now, you can obviously be strategic enough and say, this could happen. What will I need to do if that does? But let me move anyways. You can be, you can, that's chess. For any of you that you know, either know how to play chess or think about playing chess. That's chess. What could happen just in case. So at least I might be prepared if it does, but I need to move. So that's okay too, but you need to move. You have to be in the game. And I've seen this countless times from so many of the, the companies that I uh, consulted with throughout all the years. And it's interesting to find who moves fast. And who really never moves the needle at all, even with as much money. Just like with the example of the plane in this story, uh, I've seen so many people with so much money, like funders and, and companies and no sales, not profitable, not moving, not anything. And I've seen this a lot. I've seen this so many times. I'm like, it's because you guys need customers. Like, yes. And we have a marketing plan in place and we have this. And I'm like, well, okay, well, how are you doing that? well, uh, you'll have to ask our chief marketing officer who was hired from such and such company. And I'm like, okay, like, well, show me how it's being executed. And then there's usually all these things that aren't like, you know, well, this perfection, this, and this outsource that I'm like, okay, you guys got to be in the details one by one, by one, by one, by one. I've been growing my community recently, and it's been fascinating to do so. Because it one by one by one by one is now becoming thousands for the podcast. Over 11,000 people have listened uh, individually and either subscribed or or tune in, Um, you know, in other areas, other lists that I have, like all of you guys, you know, whether you're on my texting or other places, I I at some point, you know, said thank you uh, or, you know, thank you for being here thank you for being part of the community one by one by one by one it has a compound effect it doesn't have to be perfect you just have to be in of service I love you guys I appreciate you on that note please leave a written review on Apple it helps expand the awareness of the show if you are listening to this on Spotify please leave a five-star review there if you guys want a um, look up the the copy of the book I put a link in the show notes for that. Uh, the Clarity Workshop, it's free. Check it out. There's four templates in there that will help you with your time, your energy, your money, your goals, your your, your vision, direction, clarity. It's all about clarity. Like, Please check that out in there. Um, and uh, as always, as I've said before, I love you guys. Until next episode, I'm out. All right, that's it. We'll stop there for right now. I hope you found this helpful and applicable in some way. I want you to remember, you do not need to fit in and you certainly do not need to fit into some category or title nor be put into some box. The niche is you. It always has been. Please share this with a friend and be sure to leave a rating and review. Your feedback means everything to me. And also, thank you for listening and supporting me. If you're new and you want to receive these, the moment they come out, please text me 480-530-7352. Text me podcast. I promise to only send you the good stuff. Thank you. And until next time, I'm out.